Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. We're going to move on from uh, the saving of the kids to the saving of the teenagers now. Um, North Carolina General Assembly looking at uh, banning transgender surgeries for people under the age of 18. And uh, make no mistake about it, this is not a radical idea. It's not. The left will have you believe that it is. The media, but I repeat myself, have you believe that it is? It is not. It is not. We put restrictions like this on all sorts of life-altering body modification. We do it with things that could be harmful, right? Because kids' brains haven't developed. Um, and so this is, not, this is not radical, not extreme. This is from Colin Campbell over at the uh, public radio station up in uh, Raleigh, WUNC. Quote, North Carolina House Republicans want to ban gender transition surgeries. For people under 18, the House Health Committee approved a bill Tuesday to ban the procedure for transgender youth. That's my NPR voice. Opponents of the measure, who argue it could limit medical care for a vulnerable population. See, see, this is the listen to the corruption of the language. I'll give you a better example in the uh, AP version. But right there, the proponent or sorry, opponents say. It could limit medical care for a vulnerable population. So two things. Number one, medical care. Medical care. That is an adoption of the language of the left in this argument. Because people who are opposed to transing children don't believe this is medical care. Well, but Pete, the doctor said, yeah, the doctors who are engaged in it. There are also doctors who are now saying, don't do this. There are doctors who are backtracking, doctors from the field. There are doctors in the transgender uh, treatment field that are now saying, no, 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 don't be doing this stuff. There are doctors in the field that are trans themselves who are saying, pump the brakes on this. We're sending, you've got uh, one of the intake specialists. She's now gone public. She worked at like the biggest transgender clinic. And she was like, why is every single person coming, every single kid coming in here, getting access to, you know, immediately getting access to all of the quote treatments, puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and then put them on a path to the surgery, like fast track. We're not making these things up. Like, honestly, do you like the people on the left in their echo chamber they believe that this is a panic that the right has just created whole cloth at a whole cloth. They do. I read them. I see what they say on the social media. I, I watch them. And this is what they argue. <laughs> this is, they claim that this is all just another panic 
This is, you know, just like all the other things conservatives have to be outraged about and they have to whip people into fear about transgender. No, no, no. The fear is that you're trying to trans their kids. That's the fear. The fear is that that you're doing that, that you're normalizing. Just let's walk through just a very basic logical experiment. OK, very basic. What is the argument for supporting these types of surgeries. What's the argument for it, right? Like, you're the parent. Your kid's like, I really want to, you know, chop off some parts and add some others, whatever. And uh, if I don't do this, what? If you don't affirm, you don't let me do this, you don't sign on to it wholeheartedly, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit suicide, right? That's the idea. So in other words, their own personal safety, they are, they're willing to destroy themselves based on what others think. That's what they're telling you, right? So why would that person not be susceptible to the peer pressure in the first place that may have led them down the road to transitioning, right? You've already established, we, in this example that you provide to me, that if we don't affirm then they will commit self-harm. So you're telling me that, that their sense of identity is dependent upon what I think of them. And therefore, I need to agree with them. But you never apply that same standard to the beginning of the journey. And at the beginning of the journey, there are all sorts of influences on them that tell them, hey, hey you're not a tomboy. You're actually a boy. Would they not be susceptible to that kind of pressure, that kind of peer pressure or influence, those types of arguments? If they care so much about what other people think they're willing to commit self-harm, why would that same standard not apply at the beginning of the journey, but only at the end? Why? I don't expect an answer from the left on this. I really don't. It's that, that's, that's part of the progressive privilege. The House Health Committee approved this bill. The committee's chair cut off all debate citing time constraints and not even other legislators on the committee could ask the bill sponsors questions after their presentation. As the committee adjourned, opponents chanted, let us speak, and one shouted, you're killing our kids. There it is, right? That's the argument. That's the the extortion. And that's what it is. It's emotional extortion. But Colin Campbell, carrying the water, as he does, he says, according to the Cleveland Clinic, research shows the surgery improves the mental health of transgender people who have it. Complications are rare and the risk is similar to other surgical procedures. That's his thumb on the scale. That's him interjecting what he, what he wants you to believe are facts that then uh, counter-argue against what Ken Fontenot, Republican sponsor of the bill, is arguing saying we're calling for, you know, don't resort to irreversible procedures that are dangerous. And so Colin Campbell responds to the argument. Colin Campbell gives us this argument that according to the Cleveland Clinic, and he gives you a link to the Cleveland Clinic, but he does not talk about any of the other research that shows quite the opposite. Because Colin Campbell has a position, right? Colin Campbell has, he has an opinion on this. And he's letting you know what it is by pretending to be the fact checker. 
when in actuality he's just debating the position of his opponent. That's what he's doing through his story. I've got audio. You knew I would. Don't seem so surprised. Okay. I have audio. This is from the, the floor debate. Um, first up is Vernetta Alston. She's a Democrat from Durham. The, she says the bill is about bigotry and part of a national trend to stigmatize the transgender community. It's actually not. It's a trend to limit the spread of this contagion. That's what, that's what this is. It is a reaction to your efforts to spread this far and wide. She said, nobody can credibly argue that this responds to the will of the majority of North Carolinians because it doesn't, she says. Um, this bill, like I think six or seven others that have been filed this session uh, that you know, seek to restrict opportunities for transgender people um, have been filed in you know, this state and, and many other states across the country. It's a copy and paste bill that has nothing to do with the needs of the people in North Carolina. Uh, this bill uh, will create, has already created a lot of fear uh, in people across this state. Um, and the fear that it's going to continue to create amongst our youth and our families is and, and is and will be extremely significant. All right, so hang on a second. How about parents who are in fear that their child is going to be caught up in the uh, rapid-onset gender dysphoria contagion? What about that? What about that fear? Why, how come they don't get to express their fear that their kid may be persuaded? And I, Because... The, me saying this, I recognize. Like, to folks on the other side of this argument, they say that this is phobic or that I'm stigmatizing or whatever. When I simply suggest that people who are susceptible to peer pressure, particularly teenage girls, right, that they may actually be persuadable in this sense. What about parents who are afraid of that? Do their fears get any mention? Do their fears... I don't know, do they get reflected in any of the debate? No, they get called a bigot. They get called phobic, hateful. Uh, that alone should, should really compel us to kind of pause and slow this down. Um, but we should stop this altogether because this, again, has nothing to do with protecting anybody. This is about scoring political points at the expense of personal freedom and the reputation of our state. Uh, I think that fact is glaringly obvious. It's I not. think this bill is scaring people, including our children, and I urge you to vote no. So again, you're scaring us with your bill. You're scaring us. But the people who are running the bill are doing it because they're scared too. They're scared of what you are advancing, of what you're promoting, because they don't agree with you. And what you're promoting has the ability to alter their child's life. So com competing interests here, folks. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Right, we're talking about banning transgender surgeries for the uh, for the minors for under age 18. That's what the North Carolina House just 
voted to do over all of the uh, over the objections of almost every Democrat. There were two that uh, signed on with the Democrats. And uh, gosh, things must be uh, the heat's going to get turned up on them. Because if the governor vetoes, <laughs> do you think? Yeah, they'd have to they'd have to go along with the Republicans to sustain the veto. Or to override the veto, I should say. It's going to be close. It's going to be very, very, very close. All right, let me go over here and get Brian. Hello, Brian. Welcome to the program. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Sure. And it's great to to talk to you. Um, My point is, I've seen over the years, as I've grown up and I've had kids, um, that parents now are becoming the best friends of their kids rather than parents of their kids. And because of that, I think that's why we're seeing this whole generation of people looking to have these transgender surgeries while they're eight, nine, ten years old, which to me, you know, when I was that age, I wanted to be an astronaut and uh, I did not get there. Or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that kids at that age think they want to be or what they want to do but as they grow and as they mature those things change Mm -hmm. and so i think that's part of it i think that's sort of like the second step is what you're describing i think the first step occurs when they get exposed to various material and absolutely right you know peer pressure and uh, videos social media and media is a huge problem in this whole thing yeah and they see the attention that they can get by claiming they're transgender on social media. But, I mean... It also gives you a pass you know, out. Not be exposed to it. Right. It also gives you an escape route. If you are right. not wanting to be part of the, the, the hetero, cis-normative, patriarchal, racist institution uh, of America, <laughs> right, this gives you an out. Because now... Right, and in a in a in a society that values the underdog, the you know the victimized, the oppressed, and and elevates them to positions of cultural authority, then doesn't I mean you're incentivizing people to find reasons to be victimized, and then along Absolutely. comes this, and it provides a very uh, a very easy uh, opportunity to start. I mean, you got people. I've seen people's videos. And they're trying to describe, like, what their gender is and how it changes minute to minute and all this stuff. And they got, like, 70 different words that they're using. It's like, this is just, this is insanity. It is. It is crazy what's going on. And I think, I, I think you're right. I think social media plays a big part in it. Um, I think people wanting to be affirmed for whatever they mm-hmm. think or feel. And, and with this whole... Uh, Social media thing, I mean, so many people get their identity and their affirmations from whether people like them or don't like them on social media. Sure. but Well, they get it but, from whether people like them in real life. I mean, I, like, the, if your, your job as a parent is to raise a kid that's going to be self-sufficient, right. but also is going to be liked by other people. Because what kind of a life is that going to be for that kid as an adult when no one likes them, Right. You want Absolutely. your kid, yeah. You want your kid to go to the playground and have friends, <laughs> right? But but I think so much of this likeness comes from affirmations from outside influences and not from the family. And then you add on top of that 
these parents want to be their yeah. kids best friends, so they they cave to whatever their right. kid is. Now, I, yeah, I think that is. I think you are correct, Brian. And I got to run. I, I think you are correct. I think that is the second step. I, I agree. Once they come, then the parents are like, "Okay, well now I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm gonna cave to what they uh, what they require, what they demand." All right. So here is the AP story by Hannah Schoenbaum, and if you control the language, you control the debate. Transgender youth in North Carolina could have to wait until they turn 18 to receive gender-affirming surgeries. That is the language, right, of one side of the debate. They call it gender-affirming. And that is now the language that is adopted by the Associated Press and most media outlets. That's what they call it. They are controlling this debate. The mere fact that you can advance legislation when you are up against this kind of uh, uh, echo chamber... That should tell you where public sentiment actually lies on this, right? She goes on to say, House lawmakers passed the proposal would prohibit doctors from performing surgeries on minors to remove or alter features typical of a patient's sex assigned at birth. That is a lot of words to describe what they're doing. That is a, that is, that's a lot of euphemisms right there. Performing surgeries on minors, on kids, to remove, mind you, right? They don't call them, they call them minors here. They're not calling them kids. But when they talk about gun deaths, it's always kids, right? They don't call them minors. To remove or alter features. Remove their breasts. Remove their genitals. Remove chunks of their arms to build fake penises, to take chunks of their colon and turn them inside out and cut a hole up into their pelvis and create re- uh, uh, facsimiles of the female reproductive unit. Come on, people. Like, to remove or alter features typical of a patient's, and here's my favorite one, the sex assigned at birth. Right, because that's the reason why you're a boy or a girl. It's because somebody assigned it to you. Well, the doctor assigned you this sex, and so I guess that's what you are until you're three, and then you're, you know, pansexual or whatever else. You, you, you're living your true self. All right, let me get to some of this audio. This is Sarah Crawford uh, from uh, Wake County. Democrats seem to argue that—oh, hang on a second. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Okay, yes, I will. All right, all right. Because I, I have one— I've got one Republican chunk of audio that I need to play, but it runs five and a half minutes. It's the sponsor of the bill, and you're going to want to hear it. It's fantastic. But I don't have enough time to play it in this segment, so I'm going to I'm gonna maybe break a little bit early. Heads up, Boomer. I'm going to break. Well, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to break up, um, pr- try to break a little early, and then I'll, I'll be able to play it. I mean, not too early. Let me play this audio. This is Sarah Crawford. Uh, this is one minute. Okay, good. Trying to back time in real time here. Uh, she seems to argue that the surgeries on minors are happening, which is weird because I keep being told that this stuff isn't happening. I absolutely agree that individuals seeking any major surgery like this should have access to mental health care and post-operation supports as well. And that's for any major surgery, not just gender transition surgery. So it is happening. And what I find most interesting is that for all of the concerns raised yesterday 
as to why we need this bill, none of those are actually addressed in this legislation. There's nothing in this bill, in House Bill 808, that addresses the mental health concerns that were raised as why we needed this bill. Which really makes me question, if the concerns raised in committee are actually addressed in this legislation, what is the real motivation behind House Bill 808? And I urge you to vote no on this bill. Thank you. All right, so what is she saying? She's saying, where are all the programs? That's what she's saying. Where's all the extra spending on mental health services and programs if you're really, if you're concerned about the mental health of these kids that are being routed through, you know, the, the clinics and such, why aren't you helping to address the mental health issues that you say you're interested in? So what is this? What did we just get through talking about with the abortion bill? All the other programs and services that they tacked into the bill. And what did Democrats say? Well, you should have been doing that anyway. And they dismissed it, right? Here, those programs and services, not part of this bill. It's, it's a ban on trans gender surgeries for minors and now they have the opposite argument now they're like well where are, where's the funding where's the programs where are the services right it's almost like i know it's almost like you can't win <laughs> it's almost like none of it matters they just make whatever argument it's calvin ball it's whatever argument they need to make at any given moment oh hey real quick before i forget carolina readiness supply is prepping for its annual heritage life skills event it's coming up in july and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency things like homesteading canning water storage radio communications herbal remedies home defense fermenting vegetables all sorts of stuff this is what carolina readiness supply does for beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers carolina readiness supply can help get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com that's carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out this is state representative ken fontenot he is a republican from wilson and he is the sponsor of the bill. He spoke uh, on the floor in defense of the bill after it was attacked by Democrats, uh, you know, saying that it's you know targeting trans kids uh, and that sort of thing. I've heard it said that if there's anything we learn from history, it's that we don't learn from history. When I consider this enigmatic issue, this paradoxical problem sitting before us, I think the question at hand is. Has our nation ever stood at the crossroad of what some considered medical miracles while others consider them medical malpractice? I would say to you that history bears clear, concise, compelling, and convicting evidence that that has taken place twice in the last 100 years. In the 1930s, poor black boys and men were promised health care beyond their imagination, a new quality of life if they tried the medical procedure being presented to them. The same took place in the 1960s when poor black women were told that if they were to get off welfare, that if they were to try these medical procedures that their mental health would improve, that their problems would be taken care of and they would have access for the rest of their lives to the best medical care possible. Before I tell you what happened with each of those situations, let's look at what's happening here. We have the most vulnerable population 
who are suffering more than they should, anyone should suffer, being promised a bill of goods that statistically we cannot empirically show works. For instance, if we were to look at Europe, which is at least a decade ahead of us in gender reassignments and puberty blockers, we would see that just recently Europe released several studies redirecting their medical procedures. For instance, Sweden recently stated, along with the largest ever transgender study of boys, that in over 80% of the cases, if young people are given substantive mental health, then their gender dysphoria symptoms typically disappear after puberty. Furthermore, Sweden, England, France, Finland also posited this, that purity blockers should be used as a last resort because they are seeing startling numbers of children coming back from detransitioning. Additionally, they said gender reassignment should not take place until after puberty because of the number of comorbidities taking place and the fact that these surgeries are irreversible and, and leave the person sterile. Let's look at the 1930s. The experiment I'm talking to you about medical advancement took place in Tuskegee, Alabama, where poor black boys and men were made sterile, hundreds of them, in the name of medical freedom. The second case I talked to you took place in the 1960s in North Carolina, where over 9,000 black women were made sterile because they were on welfare and they were told that not being able to have children would be able to take care of their problems. I am not against LGBTQ. I am a proud family member of several in that camp and we love each other and we know it. I am against children being preyed upon and us ignoring clear empirical data from a country that's countries that are ahead of us by decades. What we are doing is putting our children at risk, as we saw last week when a young man died from getting a vaginoplasty in a teenager, from E. coli, from his own organs. These are experimental, at the very least, and if someone becomes 18 and they want these things, they should be able to have it. They're old enough to understand the consequences, their body has come to maturity, and mentally, they can make that clear decision. I say all that to say, you know, we look back at history and every last one of us would never ever claim to be on the side of error. We wouldn't have conducted the Tuskegee experiments. We wouldn't have sterilized black women in North Carolina. Somehow every last one of us would be different in the day of those emotional, because they were, treatments. I challenge this body and everyone in here that to simplify this, Two, it's just a procedure, it's to do grave injustice. And whatever you may think of me or this bill, do not let it be said that I stood in the face of what I consider grave injustice in the light of the empirical evidence that is clear. And for those that doubt it, send me an email and I will send you the research from the top leading medical institutions in Europe and their own governments. Mr. Because Speaker. they are ahead of us. That being said, 
I say to you, Mr. Speaker, you cannot say order. that injustice has taken place. Thank you. OK, so that was Sarah Crawford from, uh, I believe, Wake County, Democrat, trying to get a point of order in there about how how can he equate forced sterilizations to trans surgeries? Like, and the speaker was like, well, he's it's not a point of order. He's making an argument. He's the speaker's free to make analogies. And honestly, it's like I would point out not Speaker Moore would point out, but me, I'm pointing out that it's a pretty close analogy given, you know, the sterilization side effect of the surgeries and all, so whatever. And then Deb Butler attacked, you know, Deb Butler, she, I will not yield, Mr. Speaker, screamed and carried on like a fool over the uh, the override vote of the governor's veto on the budget um, a couple of years ago. Yeah, Deb Butler then attacked him, saying it was the most disgraceful display of anything she's ever seen on the floor of the House, which I didn't think so at all. Um, but what he was saying there, same thing. A lot of people, they always think like, oh, I would be the one, you know, that would hide Anne Frank and her family. You know, everyone always thinks of themselves as the, the hero or the victim, never the villain. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.